Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're listening to the best of the Roto Experts in the morning. Talking off air, we had a little bit of fun, a little bit of relaxation as we slide on in towards the end of May. Uh, how you doing? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was relaxing. You know, caught up on I think uh, the last Marvel cin- Cinematic Universe movie uh, that I didn't see. That I was kind of against seeing uh, because I feel like no Spider-Man is really should be anybody but Tobey Maguire. But mm. uh, I saw a Spider-Man Homecoming. It was okay. But wait a second. Let me ask you this, Scott, because you know. I understand what you're saying, right? How like you 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 see Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, but what about like James Bond? Has been like multiple different actors have played James Bond, you know, to to different levels of effectiveness and notoriety and success. But you feel like it needs to be just one. Per- like is Adam West your only Batman, or do you believe in Michael Keaton as well? See, it's different. You know, if you want to feel that way, it's fine. I'm not saying that various actors can't play the role. I just don't think anybody's going to match. For me, the way that Tobey Maguire did it, and I wasn't a fan of, like, okay, after you remade it, uh, mm-hmm. after it was made once, you know, why go over and do it again with different actors? You know, I just, I'm not I'm not a fan of that, but I, I can understand that. But, you know, there, there's other roles that, like, nobody else can play. Like, nobody can be Rocky except for Sylvester Stallone. You know, that, I hear that's you. it. Yes. Yeah. I hear you on that. And listen, we can get into this because on, on some other, like, popular TV shows, like The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they just changed the mother during from season to season. I think in Roseanne, they just changed one of the sisters at one, one season to another. But I digress. We can get into that. We got a whole summer to talk about uh, different roles. But let me tell you something, yeah, I got Scott. some strong feelings musically on some of that with, like, some rock Oh, really? Bands. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Tampa Bay kind of getting into the lab. They're becoming mad scientists with their pitching rotation. I don't know if people saw this, but starting Saturday's game for the Rays was Sergio Romo. He goes an inning. Then starting yesterday's game for the Rays was Sergio Romo. He goes an inning and a third. I heard, Scott, that the Rays were going to try this out um, at the beginning of the season, going with like a four-day rotation and in essence using a bullpen day as the fifth. And then I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but then towards the end of spring training, I think Nathan Eovaldi went down and he was going to be one of their pitchers as well. And now they're, they're kind of trying this out. I got to tell you, Scott, I really think this is interesting, not only from a rebuilding perspective, but from a fiscal perspective as well. If you're the Tampa Bay Rays, why spend for your fourth starter or some guy that's going to still be making $8 million a year when you know you're not contending and you want to kind of give everybody a shot on the hill. What do you think about this, Scott? It's very interesting because if you think fantasy eligibility, there's nothing I... against him becoming like a starting pitcher fantasy-wise now. He, I think with ESPN, he needs one more start to officially qualify as a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do a custom format by default, uh, he's is pitcher only, but I don't think anybody's going to you know use him necessarily as a starter. But uh, it'd be interesting in a few leagues where maybe like in the final week of the season you want to slip a, a starter in there to keep your ratio down. Maybe you might be able to do something unique with Sergio Romo from a pure baseball perspective. Yeah. It's very unique and it totally throws the opponent off their game. You know, it gives a it gives a young right. starter the ability to not face. Uh, Trout one time Simmons, Simmons well, right yeah. out of the lineup and mm-hmm. also throws the other team off kilter because they spend so much time readying for one starting when they're doing their yeah. video work. And, you know, Zach Hozart was kind of ticked off telling reporters, like, I don't like this. this is not good for the game. It's like playing in spring training baseball. Yeah, well, you know, and hitters don't like the dramatic shifts either. Why? Because it works. You know what yes. I mean? So that, that's where it comes down. But, but also – 
Scott, I don't know. Do you think anything about my point? I think this is also smart from a fiscal team management side. If they know they're going to do this, why not cobble it together? And when you're still at the kind of rebuilding part of your cycle, there's no reason to be saddled with a contract of a kind of mid-level guy who's not really going to be moving the needle for your franchise anyway and instead piece it together with the kids and the bullpen arms. What do you think about this from a fiscal standpoint from a team, you know, from team budgets and their salaries? Uh, I don't know if I'm getting that deep into it. What it does right now, though, it's kind of like the it flips what you used to do with Andrew Miller. Right now, mm-hmm. uh, the Tampa Bay Rays only have three surefire starters listed, and right. you know the other two are bullpen days right now. Yeah. Uh, they was they were supposed to start band over the weekend. They didn't. I don't know if there's going to lead to any wholesale changes that are going to affect the front office. I think we're getting too far out in front of ourselves by by doing that kind of analysis. All right, all right. Well, just remember, it's just, speed it's is just out two. In front. It's just two days of you know some one team doing something very unique. This is true, Scott. But they did say, like, even going into the season that they wanted to try this with one bullpen day. It's gotten to a little bit of an extreme, yeah. <clears throat> like you said. At this point, you know, it's really only Archer. For- and Snell <laughs> that are actual technical starters for this squad. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. The Rays in the lab testing things down there in Tampa Bay. Like we said, the king, Scott Angle, was able to catch up with Paul Goldschmidt for a little while over the weekend here. The Diamondbacks are in town. Um, hey, Chris, let's play some of that now. This is the king, Scott Angle, with Goldie. First round fantasy pick, Paul Goldschmidt of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Scott Engler with Paul Goldschmidt. Paul, uh, maybe the, your personal numbers aren't like what you want them to be at this point in the season, but really how much does that matter when the team is in first place? Yeah, I mean, that's why we play. You want to go out there and find a way to get in the playoffs and win the World Series and help your team do that. And, you know, just try to go out there and play and perform and um, help the team win. So, um, I mean, that's obviously you want the team to, to do number one, and, and that's where we're at. We'll just try to keep going. It's a long season. We've had a good start, but – there's a long way to go. With your personal play, is it just a matter of maybe just being in early in the season and, you know, just one of those cold streaks you go through during a long year? Yeah, you know, I just haven't really played uh, as good as I need to and, you know, has it been uh, for any one reason just try to go out there and prepare and play hard every day and, and try to help us win and, you know, hopefully uh, it'll be better. And also, you know, do you look at the analytics, like some of the players get into it, but, you know, looking at the analytics doesn't seem like you're doing anything different than you usually do. I guess that's good news. No, I'm not a guy who looks at stats and, you know, I just try to go out there and have a good bat, have a good at bat, prepare, and um, try to go out there and help us win. I think if I do that, you know, over the course of the season, everything will, will even out. But, um, you know, sometimes I've done that this year and other times I haven't. And so just try to show up and, uh, I said, have good at bats, hit the ball hard, and you know, hopefully they don't catch it. What was your initial reaction to the humidor? And you know, is that something like a guy like you even thinks of, thinks about? I, you know, I say to the listeners, like, you know, Paul's been doing this like mm-hmm. forever. It's probably not something he thinks about at his level. But what was your initial reaction, and how much do you really think about something like that when they make that change? Oh, we're not thinking about it at all. I mean, that's out of your control. You're just trying to hit the ball hard. Um, you know, what the ball does after it leaves your bat, it's out of your control. So. Um, I said, just have good at bats, hit the ball hard, and, and hopefully they don't catch it. And you know, as far as the humidor, whatever effect it is having or is going to have, you know, it's on both teams. And so um, it's not like it's adding an advantage to one team or another. If it's a little different, then, you know, that's fine with us. How much does it help the offense now? You like you recently got Steven Sousa back and you're getting Jake Lamb back. He was just activated. Yeah, I mean, it's going to take a team effort for us to go out there and play well. And, you know, getting Sousa back and Lamb that have pretty much both been out the whole year. Um, you know, we lose AJ last week, but that's part of it. Every team is dealing with injuries, so I think whatever guys are in the lineup will go out there and give their best effort and you know try to help us win. Every year, you're a first-round pick in fantasy baseball. Not that you play and know how it works, but I'm seeing a smile on your face already. Uh, you must take that as a compliment. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you want to go out there and uh, perform for the guys that draft you. You know, uh, the fantasy uh, fans are, are you know a big part of our game, and we want to bring as many fans as. A, and as we can, so we're glad that people enjoy playing. And, um, you know, you're not thinking about your fantasy numbers, but, you know, you try to help your team win. And if, if you play well, if it ends up benefiting, you know, fantasy uh, owners, then that's a good thing too. 
I got. I got to tell you though, right off the bat, Dane, I love his yeah. art, his answer about fantasy. Like, right. it's not the first thing he's focused on, but he recognizes that you want to play well for the people that drafted you. You know, I, I absolutely love the answer. But some other quick thoughts about what he says. Look, sure. he, he spouts out the usual ball player cliches that yeah, mm-hmm. I want to help the team win, etc. But you know, if you read between the lines and you listen to it, it's like I said. It's, you know, he says that hopefully everything will even out in the end. I don't think right. he has an answer for what's going on right now. And, you know, I talked to him about the analytics. A lot of players don't get into them. And I was, you know, going through all the fan graph stuff, and he's not doing anything different. His line drive rate is actually a little bit up. Uh, the hard hit percentage is not down in a major way. The swing percentages or the pull percentages uh, you know, they're not veering in any unique sort of direction. The BABIP is kind of low, but, you know, nothing where, to where he, he's hitting so like where he should be hitting like this. It's it's really confounding everyone. And, of course, uh, you know, I did speak to him about the humidor as you wanted me to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I agree with you because I'm, I'm looking at his I'm looking at his uh, some of his advanced numbers now. And you know what does surprise me? Scott, I got to tell you something. You told me his BABIP, right? His BABIP is at 290. And that's like, okay. You know, I always think about the league average being like right around 300. But then I look at his other seasons, Scott. He's had an exceptionally high BABIP the last like four or five years. 343, 358, 382, 368, 343, 340. Those are... Um, those are relatively high BABIPs. We're not talking about a guy who's a speedster per se. I know he swipes bags for a power-hitting corner infield, but he enjoyed a stretch of very high BABIP for like five years, and now he's just doing, you know, 290. That could be the difference of a good 40, 45 points in a batting average, Scott. The difference between but, but, 290 but the batting average and like, really 358, 382 Babbitt. Yeah, but you're talking about a 90-point drop. You know, that's precipitous. You're talking – and this is a yeah. guy where his Babbitt is so high because, you know, he's one of the best pure hitters in baseball. It's yes, still, still a little regression, but uh, when you talk about he's got a 333, it's just – to hit 205 even with bad luck, then you're not even really getting the power – He's only got five home runs. Yeah, it's 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 something more than that. I can see where you're pointing to that, but I think it's something more than that. But it's still, I think it's a good time to buy Golo and Goldschmidt though, mm-hmm. because when I was watching yesterday's game, he had a rope into center field off a of Syndergaard, like his next to last at bat, mm-hmm. and then his final, it was caught in the gap by Michael Conforto, right. and then his final at bat, he singled really hard up the middle. So this might be a good day to buy low on Paul Goldschmidt. Scott, I mean, his K rate, you know, over the last couple of years, 21%, 21%, 22% this year. Okay, I know it's only, you know, less games, but his strikeout rate's got 31.3%. That's a huge jump, a 10 percentage point drop in his strikeout rate. Maybe he needs to get that part under control as well, huh, Scott? That's just part of the struggles right now. Yeah. He's just he's not seeing the ball well. Yeah. It's it, there's I don't think anybody has an answer for it. You know, there was some article online that I haven't speculated. They were speculating that you know pitchers are throwing more fastballs than ever. You mm-hmm. know, baseball's a constant game of adjustments, right? And you know, hitters are always adjusting, especially guys like Goldsmith. It's just you know this is a funk. Like we saw with Andrew McCutcheon a right. few years ago where he just had an awful first half and then he he rounded back into form in the second half. Uh, I, I think ultimately Goldie's going to come out of it. But, you know, we should, we, later this week we're going to have his former teammate Rusty Ryle on. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And we should definitely ask Rusty about Goldschmidt. We absolutely will. And as you said, Scott, we will have Rusty Ryle on air on our Thursday edition of Roto Experts in the Morning. We'll have plenty of guests lined up for you this week. Hey, Scott, someone on the Diamondbacks, though, who has been killing it as of late, though, is Patrick Corbin. I mean, Patrick Corbin has 81 strikeouts in just over 62 innings pitched. He's having a great, a great year, one of the top pitchers in fantasy, pitching to a whip of 0.9. Already has five quality starts on the year. Maybe I need to pick him, his next start in Roto Clio. You also had a chance to catch up with him for a couple of minutes, huh, Scott? 
Yeah, and uh, I talk to Patrick Corbin pretty much every year. He comes into town, and like you said, he's uh, he's off to the best start of his career. There are some recent velocity concerns, uh, but it uh, doesn't seem to be anything major, at least to him. All right, let's hear uh, let's hear a little bit straight from the horse's mouth. The King Scott Angle chatting it up with uh, Patrick Corbin. Scott Engel here with Patrick Corbin. Patrick, uh, looks like your strikeouts are up even more this year, career high K per nine. Do you feel that's because uh, people are chasing outside the zone more? Um, yeah, I mean, it helps getting ahead of guys when you when you get in pitcher counts. Um, they start swinging more, and uh, slider's always been there. Just uh, I think I'm doing a better job getting ahead of guys and uh, being able to throw that pitch where I want to. You feel like uh, since last year, like you've thrown it even more since starting last year, like you have the ideal of command of it now? Um, that's always been a pitch I've had good command in. Um, we've added the slower one um, in there, so and then just being able to locate fastball inside and out. So just kind of having a good mix there with all those pitches and um, throwing the changeup occasionally. What about uh, you know throwing your sinker more than your four seamer over the last two years? You felt feel that's uh, been part of the reason for your success, especially early this year. Um, I think it helps. I just I think I'm locating better, just repeat my delivery, um, just kind of keeping hitters off balance, getting in pitcher counts, and um, getting ahead of guys. And uh, after your last start against the Dodgers, you know your fastball was uh, hitting about 92 miles an hour. How are you feeling about your velocity right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, f- I feel fine. Um, I mean, there's times during the year where you don't have your best fastball and you and you got to pitch with it, and um, location is huge. And just um, some days you'll have a plus fastball, some days you won't. Um, but you uh, sometimes those games you end up having better numbers. So it's uh, it's funny how it works, but you just still go out there, try to compete, um, and do the best you can. And uh, last one for you. Every time you go out on the mound for the Diamondbacks, you feel like all of upstate New York is pulling for you? Yeah, of course. Um, my, I mean, a lot of my friends, family, they um, st- like to stay locked in and um, pay attention to us really well. And um, it's a fun team to watch, so um, they're always rooting for me. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Yeah, thank you. So they're having a little Patrick Corbin right there, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hey, Scott, I tell you, he uh, – he uh, he reps upstate New York. You know your boy Dane Martinez, speeds the spitting statistician. Like Nando is a good old orangeman out there. You know, I had a little time yeah. up in Cuse myself. Um, but he's not concerned about yeah, the velocity, he's from, huh? Yeah, he's from Clay, New York, which is the gotcha. biggest suburb of uh, outside yep. of outside of Syracuse. But his his old swing rate is up to thirty four point four thirty four point seven percent. He's throwing the slider and the sinker more over the last two years. So that's certainly staying. Uh, that is certainly helping him. Todd Hollinsworth once said early in his career, like around uh, when Hollinsworth was still in the league, that Corbin's got the best slider that he's ever seen. There were concerns about the fastball velocity uh, that people concerned about is with the last two previous starts. But, it, you know, sitting at 92 right now, it doesn't seem like he's overly worried about it. But I think he's aware of it. And, uh, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. But... You know, Corbin, when he's healthy, you know, can really pitch well for extended stretches. You know, that ballpark now with the humidor, et cetera. Uh, and, you know, Arizona as a staff is just, you know, they, they've been pitching really well. They just haven't been getting to hitting enough. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that pitching staff with Grinky and Corbin and the returning Robbie Ray will be able to get the Diamondbacks far in the National League. Jake, I want to ask you about a couple of things over the weekend in the NFL, some news and notes, and we start in uh, we start in Jerry's world. We start in Dallas, okay? I mean, Terrence Williams, you know, has this issue. He crashed his Lamborghini, um, you know, so he's, he's kind of uh, on the hot seat a little bit as well. I remember asking you, Jake, about this Dallas kind of wide receiver room. I remember asking you, like, who gets drafted after Zeke Elliott? And now we're complicating things. These wide receivers in Dallas, Terrence Williams, you got Gallup, Cole Beasley. Does this further muddy the picture for you, Jake? What do you think about these Cowboys wide receivers? It only muddies it if there's some type of situation with the NFL or the team where he's suspended or something more happens. And obviously there's a chance of that. But if he's fine by week one, I told you before, the Cowboys are hell-bent on trying to make Terrence Williams a thing. Like, mm-hmm. Look at the money they gave him. They keep going to him every single year. They want Terrence Williams to be 
their number one or whatever it may be, even if he's a 1B. But right. The fact is, Alan Hearns is going to be at least one of the two guys for as long they as He spent money healthy. on him. Right. He has the talent to be a second option on a team. We've seen it before. He's, he's more than just a deep threat. The fact is, he can't stay healthy or consistent. But if he's out there, he will be one of the two top options. So it just comes down to what I've always said about Michael Gallup, even on Roto Experts in my rookie draft recap. As I said, Gallup has the most, he has the best potential and innate talent of anybody on this team right now. He's raw. He's not ready for it yet. Maybe he goes through some things in OTAs and preseason that the team helps him get to that. But he has to get past Alan Hearns or Terrence Williams. If Terrence Williams is starting week one, Gallup is going to be the fourth option because Cole Beasley is the slot. He, Gallup, right. that's not his position anyway. Gallup's not going to move to the slot. So he has to get past Hearns or Williams, whether it's by injury, whether it's by suspension, because as of today, the talent's there. He's just not ready for it yet. So he's not going to pass them yet on talent. Yeah, and one guy that I'm actually going to watch is Deontay Thompson. This is a guy that that flashed at times with Buffalo, you know, especially when they were playing catch up. And we've seen that receivers can leave Buffalo and play better elsewhere. So sometimes in these situations where you don't have it, like you look at the roster right now and say they have nobody, somebody has to step forward and do the job. Somebody has to catch the football. And it wouldn't be surprised, a very, very deep sleeper that I'm going to keep my eye on. And then I may recommend in very deep leagues or taking a best ball late could be Deontay Thompson. All right, all right. That's not the only time this weekend, Jake, that uh, Cowboys wide receivers were in the news. Former Cowboys wide receiver Terrell Owens was saying he can't understand how Jason Garrett still has a job. You know, um, this idea, like, are they really improving under him? And it got me thinking, Jake, which coaches do you think are kind of on the biggest hot seat for this season? You know, I think Garrett might be one of them if they kind of underperform. You think about Hugh Jackson. We've talked about the Browns at nauseum, him going one and 31 over the last two seasons. And I also think, Jake, I also think about uh, Dirk Cutter down there in Tampa. Maybe you can think about Marvin Lewis has gotten stale and Cincy. Um, do you think Garrett is on the hot seat this year, Jake? And who might some other coaches? Do you think I had some other ideas, uh, some other candidates that could be feeling their bum bum getting a little warm this season? Yeah, I think that Jason Garrett has to be, but it's not all his fault, but a large part of it is because you talk about this team too and the fact that Dak Prescott has been criminally underpaid. Like Whether or not you think Dak Prescott is a top-tier, second-tier, whatever you think he is, he's definitely well above an average quarterback, and he's getting paid dirt cheap nothing because of when he was drafted, and yet they haven't put pieces around him that, especially offensively. The offensive line's been great. Defensive has been miserable across an entire defense, and part of it is that there's a lot of suspensions for that team. But also, you've been giving him Des Bryant and pretty much nothing else. Terrence Williams at wide receiver for the past how many years? They haven't done a whole lot outside of Ezekiel Elliott to help him, and Ezekiel Elliott was just a draft pick. So part of that is the front office as well. So I think Garrett is because it's an entire organization situation. You can look at the Giants within this division last year. Ben McAdoo was a big problem. He was, but let's be honest too, so was the front office. So I think that if you see another poor start, maybe the Cowboys start 2-6, and six, that the entire front office outside of Jerry you know, gets kicked out. Can't of fire himself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Jerry's always going to be part of the problem. The other two that came to mind were the ones you already named. I mean, because you look at, there's a lot of coaches that already were replaced, and a lot of the coaches that were replaced mm-hmm. are on teams that you have questions about. At right. the bottom of the standings in all these divisions, you know, now the Broncos, uh, you know, maybe they're in the conversation. Maybe Yeah, I would think that would be the only one but outside of Hugh Jackson and, uh, of course, the, the Bengals and Marvin Lewis. I think those were the two. Those you are don't the think two Dirk Cutter? Ones. I mentioned Cutter and Tampa. No, well. I actually don't because I think that if you well if you look at it now if they go four and twelve maybe I don't expect them to be that bad this year because I think if you look at it Jameis Winston was hit you know on and off and hit and miss last year a lot was his regression they didn't have any running back Deshaun Jackson got hurt and missed almost uh, actually a good chunk of the year so I think there was just a lot that went wrong for the Buccaneers last year that I, I wouldn't say that it's all on him with the Dallas Cowboys it starts from ownership up top and to me, Jerry Jones is always meddling in affairs. I think that he shouldn't. You know, he's not a player personnel guy, and that affects everything else. If you look at, if you isolate J- Jason Garrett's record by itself, though, you know, why does this guy get a free pass? He's been in there eight years, and he's only had a winning season in three of them. 
and he's won one playoff game in eight years, that would get a lot of other people fired. Yeah, but, you know, hey, it's America's team. This so is a, this, this, no, a it's team. not. It's not. This is a has-been franchise Listen, I that don't has disagree not, with not been – and America's team is the Patriots. You know, this is a new era. The America's te- this is not 1977. That's when the Cowboys were annoyed by that when they were yeah, constantly they were winning all the time. and they're on TV all the time. What's the one team that everybody loves to hate that is talked about more than any other? It's the Patriots. They're America's team. Joined by Rusty Ryle, friend of the network. He gets down with us on some podcasts. He also spent some time with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Rusty, thanks for getting up bright and early and spending some time with us. How you doing, man? My pleasure. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Hey, Rusty, you know, you were in Arizona. You played a little bit with Paul Goldschmidt. I got to ask you, the guy is still on the interstate at the end of May. Is there anything you're noticing? What's going on with him? You know, is the humidor? Is it the 97-mile-an-hour pitches? What's going on with Goldie? Well, I can tell you that 97-mile-an-hour pitches are not easy to hit, so it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, but we've seen him be able to uh, prove his value and his worth in the past. I think the biggest thing that we've got to look at is not so much the mechanics, I think it's probably more of the pitch selection. Uh, what I see a little bit is probably um, something that I did a lot uh, when that when that second month rolls around. You're not where you want to be. You start pressing. I mean, he's still a human. You guys got to realize that. Uh, not only that, when you got um, JD Martinez out of the lineup uh, this year, and then you got AJ Pollock, who obviously has been going off. I thought that actually would contribute to. Uh, some acceleration in, in Paul's uh, approach at the plate and how people approached him, which if you go back and look at it, that may have been why AJ was having uh, so much success because the fear of Goldschmidt and the power in his bat um, maybe deflected some pitchers going after him. But now, I mean, you guys have been watching baseball for a long time. Uh, pitchers don't have to make uh, that perfect pitch now to get this guy out. Uh, I still believe they're, they're probably still going after him as an aggressive hitter. But when you get in your mind um, and when you're the, the, the highest-paid offensive player on the team, uh, the media starts to ask you questions. Uh, players, you know, you're supposed to throw them over your shoulder and, and carry the team uh, when they need you, when that tying run or winning runs on the base path. And when you don't execute, uh, it gets men- mentally strenuous. And I would have to believe that there's probably some timing going on in his mind, and there's probably some, um, not self-doubt, but some probably self-criticism that he wants to do more. I know Paul's a very humble guy. I think that um, he's been very disciplined and stays within his approach. I wouldn't be shocked to see here in two or three weeks that things start to pick up for him, and he gets it back in line, start shooting balls up the middle, uh, start making a solid contact, and, and gets back on track to where he usually is. Now, he's not going to have the same numbers as he has in the past three years. Uh, you got to respect that he is human, and and he will probably regress in that. But I think there is still a season to salvage. Rusty, in addition for playing for the Diamondbacks for two years, you also played over in Japan, so you know what that environment is like. Miles Michaelis went over to Japan and came back as this dominant pitcher did he discover something over there? What's going on with Miles Michaelis? You know, I think one thing that anyone that's played over there understands, um, they will either find your weakness or they'll find your strengths. I, on the other hand, got my weaknesses found, and I can never get out of that hole. But I learned a lot about myself as a baseball player, and that's uh, invaluable. Uh, sorry, that, that's, that's valuable and can't be replaced. Um, I think the same thing happens when pitchers come over there because there is – a no-nonsense tolerance even uh, – I'll give you an example. There were several times that an American pitcher would be uh, third inning, fourth inning, and he'd give up a run. He's coming out of the game. And the mentality is you're not over there to give up a run. You're over there to throw, throw zeros up. Now, that seems insane, speaking in terms of pitching in America or in the States, because runs are going to happen. But in their mind – they can have a Japanese player to give up one run, two run. That's not why you're over there to make money. So that kind of focus, and you know you have to go out there and bring your A game, not only that, you've got pitching coaches over there that have helped 
um, their players develop their off-speed pitches, um, little intricacies that maybe some of the pitching coaches over here don't have the same approach. And what I believe is something probably clicked for him. Uh, he's always had the velocity. I remember facing him when he was with the Padres. Uh, he's always had great stuff. But the consistency, if you go look in his numbers, his strikes to walk out, he doesn't walk anybody now. Why is that? I think it boils down to focus and mechanics. And now he's in a groove and he can find that arm slot where he can repeat that motion. And now he knows what he's doing because he's not a rookie pitcher anymore. Um, he's had some time and he's traveled the earth a little bit now. I think he's found himself in a situation where he now can correct the mistakes very quickly and he can progress with the ability that he's gained and the experience he's gained under pressure and on the big stage. Because I'll tell you right now, being a pitcher in Japan, especially for the Giants, is as big a stage you can get in sports in the world. Right, let's go to the hitting side of things and talk about Aaron Altair, who's somebody who we see flashes here and there of like the potential everybody thought he had, and it's like, oh, he's going to break through, and then he disappears for weeks on end, and then we see the flashes again. What is it with some players like that, and maybe Altair specifically, is he ever going to put it together consistently where – it, there's, they just don't seem to uh, get the consistency on the field, honestly. Right, and you got to realize, which I think you all do, and most of us uh, baseball junkies understand, if you're not playing a lot, it's really hard to repeat, uh, especially someone with a long swing like Aaron. But at the same time, if you look at his numbers over the past two or three weeks, he's starting to heat up a little bit. And I know that um, the Phillies, if you're producing, especially with Kapler in there and how we've seen that all go down, you're going to play. So I'd keep an eye, an eye on him, uh, maybe even considering putting him on your watch list. At the same time, you know, he's got the potential to be the guy we all want him to be. It's just can he keep that nice, compact, tight swing and have the strike zone discipline to keep himself on the field. With the young guys, that's the biggest thing. If they, if they can't go up there and at least have quality plate appearances, that's where your, your managers and your GMs um, will make the decision on, on your playing. I know that sounds, you know, simple and no duh, but with the, with the younger guys, especially um, like two or three, if they've had, you know, the, the cup of team, the big leagues, but they go down to the minor leagues and they produce, they know it's a matter of above-the-neck issues and at the same time pitch selection because the major league pitchers, they're not going to give in. You've got to make the adjustment as a hitter. So I really think um, he's stringing something together right now. I think it's something to watch, and we know the potential he has. So you might get lucky on a on a on a risque pickup. Talking with Rusty Ryle here on Roto Experts in the morning, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And Rusty, you talk about whether it's Paul Goldschmidt potentially pressing, whether it's these young kids that you know got to get it done you know, above the shoulders, in between the ears. The mental aspect of the game is so huge. And so that brings me to my next question. I once asked Mark Teixeira about how his approach maybe changes hitting into the shift. You know, and he was like, listen, Dane, I'm, I'm not going the other way. I'm not dropping down bunts. I'm paid to drive in runs. I wonder with, with this shift, you know, you've, you know, maybe it wasn't as dominant as it is right now when you were playing, but... Take me into that mental aspect. When you see three guys, you know, on the pole side of the field, does that change people's approach? Does that actually get in hitters' heads? It feels to me like it does. Hitters complain about this and really struggle with it. How do you approach that with the shift, uh, kind of battling that mentally? Well, I, I actually have a more analytical approach. If you just want to keep it simple as the hitter, you've got one job to do. You get a pitch that you want to hit that you can drive and you put the swing that you practice every day on it, the swing that you trust. Don't do any more, don't do any less. You put the swing that, that you continuously groove to take onto the field at the highest level uh, in baseball, and you put that swing on a good pitch, and that's all you can do. It doesn't matter if the guys are playing straight up. It doesn't matter if they're playing a shift. You've got nine guys up there, and once you hit the ball, you can't control what it does. And all good hitters and all good hitting coaches I would have to say, especially at the major, even at the minor league level, um, are going to tell you that. Now the, now the hitters, you know, I, I've been there mentally. When you hit a ball in the screws, I mean, I can remember uh, often you hit a line drive right up the middle line. You know, the center fielder doesn't move a beat, goes right into his glove, and it's frustrating. And the reason why it's frustrating is because baseball's freaking hard. 
hitting is the hardest thing in the world to do uh, in sports. And and when you go up there and you execute, you expect results. And when you've got a guy that's playing, you know, a shift because that's your tendencies, you you could get frustrated about it. But when you start to change your approach, whether it's like Tashera said, I'm not going the other way, um, you know, I, I'm kind of – I'm in the middle on that because I think good hitters can start to do things and do damage to get pitchers to change their approach. Um, not all of them can. Some guys don't have the ability to do that. You can't change a swing when it's been ingrained in your, 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 your biology, your system, for 17, 20 years. I can tell you that because I tried it. When I went to Japan, in fact, I was trying to gain a little bit of ground and more hand separation, and it screwed me up, and it screwed me up for about a year and a half. So you've got to be careful with that. Your swing's your swing. Uh, mentally, it's a whole other game. So I think that, to answer your question, um, the shifts shouldn't play as a big effect, um, you know, mentally, because you're out there just trying to put your A swing on an A pitch. Luis Gohara last last night, uh, two earned runs, four hits, four walks, and six strikeouts in four innings. Uh, the, the Braves were probably the most rich minor league system we've seen over the last few years when they tore down uh, those teams that didn't just reach where they wanted to reach. They really stocked the minor league system and did a great job. Is Gohara the next gem? How, you know, is he going to stay in the majors? And what's your what's your fantasy outlook for him? I believe that this guy is for, for real, and if you go and look at him side by side, he reminds me of CC Sabathia. I know that's a big and profound statement, but at the same time, look at his tangibles. You know, he's got serious velocity. He's got a great breaking ball. He's got the frame. Um, and obviously, you know, big left-handed pitchers, you don't find them often um, like CC Sabathia. The guy played forever. But when you got a guy like this in a rich system, like you said, I think the Braves are back to the game of, hey, we're going to run guys out there uh, that have got the potential, and if they prove themselves, uh, we stick with them. And if, and if not, um, we've got to move on down the line. You know, I think him pitching, you know, four or five innings, I think they're going to start trying to, in my opinion, I think they're going to try to find a spot in rotation for this guy. Build him up gradually. They've got a decent pin. Um, to come in on the back end, and they're also offensively charged to support a guy that might give up three or four here and there now. So in my opinion, I think he's going to be a quality starter and a good rotation with the, with a team that, you know, in the early runnings here uh, is looking like a serious contender. So I would keep my eye on him, and definitely I think he's fun to watch as far as a pitcher and just, just the ability that he has uh, is, is dominant stuff in my opinion. Uh, great insights right here from Rusty Ryle, you know, giving us really like the ball player's perspective on things, getting into the mental aspect, getting into how and where you make adjustments and certain things he looks for. Hey, Rusty, tell everybody here listening to Roto Experts in the morning, uh, how can we find you on social media and kind of what are you working on where people can get more of these great insights? Well, I'll be honest with you. I, you can probably find me on a coach pitch field here in Edmond, Oklahoma, where I do my real studying. And, and, and coaching with my son. Uh, I'm not very involved with social media as far as the fantasy aspect. Uh, I do watch a lot of baseball. Um, if there is a, a calling for me to give some insight, you can find me at Russ Ryle on Twitter. Feel free to shoot me a, a, a shout-out or, or ask me a question on there for some insight. Um, I just really haven't been engaged, and that should be my fault on the fantasy side, uh, except outside of these phone calls. But as yeah. far as that goes, that's the extent of it right now. How's your son's team he's doing? Playing. He's he, he's playing though. He's playing fantasy though. He's playing yeah. fantasy. Oh, but yeah. well, you, you talk about yeah, your son's I mean, team. How are they doing? Well, I, I'll tell you what. My ERA is really high, so that means they're doing really well. Um, I I didn't want to get into coaching because uh, I just want to be the down the sidelines, you know, not getting the drama. But um, it turns out. I have a knack for finding barrels, and I can throw it consistently where they can hit me. It's the exact opposite of what you want. Actually, you know, it kind of looks like my pitching staff on my fantasy team. Huh, Scott? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why Rusty's always about pitching. Rusty's been playing uh, in the NFBC and the NFFC for the last few years, Dane. 
Yeah, okay, that sounds yep. good. Rusty, you say it's yeah. the hardest thing in the world to hit a round ball with a round bat, but somehow when you're throwing them, they find a way to barrel them up, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're – I don't try to get the thing to move around. I mean, if I strike out the side, I'm getting booed by the parents. So I have to be right. very, very careful about my positioning on the mound here. Yeah, it always comes back to a mental game, Rusty. Thanks for spending a couple of yep. minutes with us on Roto Experts in the morning. Uh, we'd love to have you back on in a few weeks, all right? Excellent. You guys take care. Sounds good. Uh, there you have it. That was Rusty Ryle. I think it was very interesting. You know, Scott, he pretty much thinks that Goldschmidt's going to pretty much put it together. He said he's going to start seeing balls hit up the middle. I think that was interesting that he talked about. That could be an indicator of seeing when he's getting right. He also mentioned, listen, no J.D. Martinez, no A.J. Pollock now. You know, it's the mental part. He's pressing, and he doesn't have as much protection in that lineup as he once did. Yeah, Jake Lamb just came back from the DL and Steven Sousa just went back on the DL, and this team losing like 12 of 13 recently and hitting uh, under 200 during that stretch. It's a malaise. Uh, but Goldschmidt did homer last night, so uh, maybe there's some hope. Jake, what'd you take from that? Uh, exactly what he said. It's just somebody's overextending, and we've maybe underrated the loss of Martinez, and obviously Pollock was going to come at some point because he's always getting hurt, but... He's just pressing too hard. I think that's the real answer. Are you now selling Goldschmidt if you're his owner? Or are you looking to maybe buy low on Goldschmidt if, if you are not his owner in your league? What are you looking? How are you approaching this? Do you still have faith and see this as a buy low opportunity? Or has it passed the point where you're not going to take the risk anymore and you're looking to cut bait? Uh, I think if I have Goldschmidt, I certainly shop him to see what I can get, but you know if I don't have Goldsmith, you know I don't. I don't I You're not looking I'll, to acquire him. You, you know what? I think there's not one sweeping answer to that. It depends on what you're willing to give up or take in return. You have to shop for him, and you have to shop him, right. uh, no matter what side you're on. But it really depends on what the individual offer is. There's not a there's not a sweeping answer to it. Seventy five cents on the dollar. To yeah. basically answer your question. Uh, I would say if I get anything less than 70 cents on the dollar, I'm not taking it. Yeah, but fair it's really enough. So that's about where it on is. The players. Yeah. All right, fair enough. We ride into hour two here at Roto Experts in the Morning. We welcome in the all-in kid, Jake Seal, and when we come back, Roto Experts in the Morning right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Here talk about American football. And, you know, I want to look at – the defensive side of the ball, okay? Austin Webster has a piece up on rotoexperts.com talking about a couple of defenses, Jake, that have kind of evolved or changed. He talks about the Seahawks defense, you know, kind of the end of the Legion of Boom, Michael Bennett moving on as well. You got the Seahawks really changing over there. Scott, I know that you are a big you know, tuned into the Seahawks. He talks about the Minnesota Vikings getting guys like uh, Sheldon Richardson to augment that front line. He talks about the impact of the Steelers without Ryan Shazier being that kind of sideline to sideline linebacker for Pittsburgh, you know, and some other teams, things like Texan, uh, I mean, Houston or Tennessee. Jake, where do you think are some of the defenses that have really evolved and stand to improve. I have two that I think are going to be really strong this year that I want to kind of go out and grab. Who do you think, what defenses do you think are ascending this year because of some of the changes they've made? So you're speaking specifically as a defense to use for fantasy. Yeah, because, or the, yes, be, and because of off-season changes have maybe become better in fantasy for, for, for moving forward this year, yeah. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. I just want to make sure. That sure, we're yeah, for fantasy purposes. Other, uh, the uh, the other way and like what to target. That's that's kind of what. Oh, I'm like to, who to who to uh, try to go against. Right. No, I'm talking about yeah. who to not to who to exploit. If you want to go in that price. direction too, that's fine. But I'm talking well, about no, no, who no, to own. That's a whole different. That's a whole different conversation. We All right, no, I'm talking about who to own, yeah. Jake. I'm yeah. talking about uh, who to so, own. Uh, I think that there's well, to be honest with you, I don't think this one's really ascending. I just think it's always been. Well, I think it's been on the come up for the past couple of years. It's just people don't give it the respect deserved. And they added a few more pieces or have gotten healthy in some other spots. The Chargers are – Oh, you took my answer, Jake. Uh, but it's true. It's <laughs> it the, the is. Chargers, 
the thing, if people are paying attention, yep. and that's why I would go back to the first point, they're not really like an up-and-coming defense. They're just yep. one that deserves more of your attention and more of your respect. So mine would be the Chargers, and then I mean the, the Rams are obvious. I don't really need yep. to say the Rams because they're at the top anyway. But if you're looking at another team that's coming up, and I might take your other answer, and I, I, I used to cover this team, Scott, hint, hint, it's the New Orleans Saints. The Saints hmm. have gone from one of the worst defenses in the league to a defense you get worried about facing in the passing game to now also a defense that's starting to get sacks, turnovers, and help if you're in IDP leagues. The, the Saints, I think, are a defense of one unit now. Yeah, the Saints are, you know, they've, they've evolved and changed who they are uh, they, yeah. to, to use the run game more, to use the mm -hmm. defense more. Uh, Atlanta still has a very young defense, and I think you know when when you have Quinn coaching them, you know maybe we haven't seen the best of Atlanta yet because some of their key players are still about to hit their prime. I think uh, with Seattle, you know they still have Earl Thomas and they still have Bobby Wagner, uh, so that makes them respectable, but no longer an elite unit. I believe uh, that team is no longer a Super Bowl contender; can still be a playoff team. Uh, so they, they, they've dropped from the elite, both NFL and fantasy-wise. Minnesota, with what they've added, can be even more stout and maybe the best defense purely in fantasy football and get even more mm -hmm. turnovers this year. And then you look at Houston with everybody returning healthy. Uh, I, I, I like them a lot. Yeah, I was going to be advocating for the Chargers left and right, Jake. What people don't understand, you know, really, you get fantasy points – in for defenses, really from sacks and turnovers, right? And I believe there is no better edge pass rushing combo in the NFL than Joey Boza and Melvin Ingram. They had that already. I believe on the low, there are not many cornerback tandems better than the Chargers. If you look at Casey Hayward, who is an all-pro, and if Jason Verrett can ever stay healthy, that augments that. And then they go out and get Derwin James with their first-round pick, who is really a defensive chess piece. You could have him in the back of the second he rushed the passer successfully a lot at Florida State as well. And then, Jake, I also I think about this the, the division they're in, right? Um, there's going to be opportunity there. The Broncos evolving with a new quarterback. The Chiefs starting the Patty Mahomes era. He's known as a gunslinger. There may be some turnovers there as well. The Raiders also evolving with their new head coach. I think they are literally prime to ascend. I am very high on the Chargers this year, regardless of Hunter Henry. Um, that's how you get it done in fantasy defense, right, Jake? Sacks and turnovers. Yeah, actually, and to give credit to Nando on this network, he it's not 100%, but if you're looking for a defense that might be overlooked or one a sleeper or anything like that, and it is only preseason, that's why it's not 100%, but he looked at sacks plus turnovers for mm -hmm. preseasons, and that's where he found the Buccaneers from a few years ago. That's where he found whatever. And it's a very simple stat, and it makes sense, and especially if you're talking about for fantasy defense because you just said that's where you get the points from. But especially like the teams that are getting those, even in preseason, is usually a telltale sign of somebody that's at least going to be somebody to keep an eye on. Defensive predictions from year to year are very, very hard. So now, there's, two, there's two things that you can do. Now, number one that I certainly don't believe in a lot of people do is they'll look at the schedule from last year, the results from last year, and they'll base their schedule analysis off of that. To me, it's a waste of time because too much changes from year to year. Now, you can look at all these other teams that have gotten different defensive pieces, but sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it takes, takes, uh, it takes time to gel. So I'm not going to waste a high pick on a fantasy defense. And when I say high pick, I'm not going to spend a 12th-round pick because I don't think we know defensively at least until week four, what the new trends are as much as we speculate, whether it's less experienced speculation like looking at last year or more experienced speculation like what we're doing. So a lot of times I'm just I'm, – I'm, I'm about well, screaming goes, defenses week to week. Here's a trivia question for both of you guys. Do you guys know the last fantasy defense that finished number one in back-to-back -back years? I think it was hmm. Baltimore. Nope, earlier than that. Earlier yeah. than that? Pittsburgh? Tampa Bay? Tampa Bay? No, that, you got you got it the second time, Scott. Pittsburgh, but do you mm. know the two years? The two years. I want to say 2005 and six. Earlier, 99 and 2000. Wow. That's the last time we've had a fantasy defense for his first. And to your point, the reason I bring that up is because yeah. you said that at the top, 
about being predictable. And then that second point you made about the 12th round is I'm seeing people take the Jacksonville Jaguars defense oh, wow. in the 11th and 12th round. And to your exact point there is to expand on that. And you guys both know this. You go back to what you said, Dane, sacks and turnovers. Well, that's mm-hmm. great. And you'll say, oh, so, you know, Jacksonville should get plenty. Sometimes defenses are too good that they're not getting as many turnovers or sacks right. as everybody else because they're just shutting everybody else down. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing. Listen, you talk about I always look at the division, and it could be a lot tougher in the AFC South this year. Let's say Andrew Luck is there. Let's say Deshaun Watson is there for 16 games. You know, that could be a little bit of a challenge as well. One thing I wanted to ask you guys, I, I, I feel a little bit of double talk here, kind of having it both ways. We talk about the variance year to year with defenses. I personally apply that same thing, guys, to the Saints. The Saints, you know, poke their head up. I understand that they're evolving as a team, looking to rely a little bit more on the run game, time of possession. That obviously helps out the defense. But isn't there a universe also where the Saints kind of fall right back? I know Lattimore is a beast. I know they did really well in the draft. But isn't there a universe where the Saints just fall right back to the kind of defense that they were um, in previous years? Why is it sustainable, in your opinion, for New Orleans? There's a universe for everything. And it's because of the fact it's it's not just Lattimore. It's the individual talent. You're talking about Cameron Jordan being one of the Mm -hmm. best defensive linemen in the league. They just drafted Marcus Davenport, who is one of the best defensive line rushers in the draft. They still have Sheldon Rankins there. They still have uh, – what's the other one that they just put on the other side? Crawley's decent. Vaughn Bell's there in the second day. Marcus Williams, despite having yeah. that play against him. Right. He still was great there. outside He's, of that one play. <laughs> right. The, the point being is why it's like – so it's two different factors. Now, as a unit, the Saints are becoming terrifically better. I will want to look at them as you go and draft your defense, I'll take my Saints. Now, if the Saints finish 20th, it wouldn't shock me. But that's fantasy. Real life-wise, this defense is still going to be an ascending unit just because the pieces are still there. Yeah, and when you talk about turnovers, like sacks may be more predictable, but turnovers are not as predictable. And when you look at the Saints, yes, there's a universe in which they fall off. Maybe that's a universe with injuries, you know, in which is a violent game that we're talking about. It can happen, but I don't see it with everybody staying healthy that the level of talent, the level of talent is just higher than in years before. These, these are not the same Saints. Yeah, well, see, I hear to that. this point, Dane, this is so I've done. I don't like de- the, the default defensive scoring in leagues because I don't like it inflates touchdowns as much as it yep. does. I've pulled that back. I also mm-hmm. don't like the fact that you get two points for so many things, like right. even intercept. Like two points should be for a safety. And that's about it. Um, one of the things is it doesn't account for yardage allowed either because mm-hmm. a good example, and the reason I've done this in my leagues is kind of the similar reason why I ticked down offensive touchdowns way back in the day, even for running yep. backs and wide receivers with the Jerome Bettis, the three mm-hmm. yards for three touchdowns. Game. Right. Well, the Garrett the Eagles, of the world. <laughs> right. The, you look at the Eagles. They were one of the worst defenses yep. in the league two, three years mm-hmm. ago, but because of all the interceptions and then yes. some of those coming back for touchdowns, they were the number one defense in fantasy. Right. So for me, I also give credit in my leagues. I'm not saying people should, this is, you have to play this way. I'm just saying if you want to play a little bit better way with defenses, give some points Mm -hmm. for allowing less than 400 yards, less than 300 yards, less than 20 points, less than 10 points, a shutout. Like the actual real defensive, you know, team unit performances reward that a little bit. You know, Jake, uh, I'm in a league where uh, my longest standing kind of dynasty league that I've been in with 15, 20 years with my guys, we have made some of those changes to defenses. Uh, We have yards allowed as a category. We also very recently added three and outs as a category that you can uh, get points for as well. And I think that is a mark of a defense, right? That is a mark of a real defense. Uh, Three and outs is a a category that we use. And let me tell you something. I know it. What uh, site is that on? Uh, I'm on. That's on Yahoo. That's a. That's a. You can add that as a. As a. As a category. Really? Yep. You definitely can. I'm doing it right. I'm. I'm playing in a long-term dynasty league on Yahoo, where three and outs is a category, and it kind of makes defenses. You know, it norms them in terms of the positional value up against some of these other positions, like you're talking about, Jake. I personally had the Minnesota defense last year. You know, as I, I rode them to a fantasy championship. But just like you were saying, they um they didn't have a ton of turnovers. They didn't have uh touchdowns either, Jake. That's another thing that is kind of like very, very different from year to year. And so I'm very excited to keep Minnesota potentially. I have them in like the 13th round. I'm going to keep them because I think they're getting better with 
Sheldon Richardson. And because they didn't have turnovers, didn't have touchdowns, I think that there stands to be positive regression there, making them even stronger. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. Hey, we're both Thank you. One, this is like the first time stage. Jake has completely agreed with me. Can we all take a minute? This is the time Jake is completely agreeing with me. Do we have a bump for this, Bavona? We need to get some kind of drop when Jake agrees with someone. I want to implement that now. What were you going to say, Scott? Maybe we should get an old Phil Rizzuto going, holy Holy cow. cow. Something yeah. like that. I what can't do you got believe here, it. Yeah, but the, the one thing is, though, you can't predict turnovers and then right. you look at you look at the division too like holy cow is he gonna get throw uh matthew well you know Stafford, aaron Rodgers and matt stafford are gonna put it up they are but, but stafford doesn't turn the ball over a lot sure this yeah. is true but i'm also I mean, I'm sorry rogers doesn't turn the ball i know over. but also i'm thinking about minnesota they're also gonna have dalvin cook back i think they're gonna be up in games applying pressure and be able to send the hounds danielle hunter and the like you know, that's, that's the way I like it. We shall see. Obviously, it is defense because, as Jake said, it is a slow part of the football calendar. So we get to talk about OTAs. We get to talk about fantasy defense. We're going to look at this face of baseball. We brainstormed a couple of names. We did a little bit of moving and tweaking offline. I think we've solidified kind of the guys we want. Jake, I took your point and in inserted not my Ennis, not our Ennis, but yo Ennis, because he is a Cespedes for the rest of us. So he is, in fact, in there. <laughs> you know, we did a little bit of seed tweaking based on some kind of uh, informal poll research, the same way apparently the NFL did some informal poll research on feelings on Colin Kaepernick. We'll save that for another day. Here's where I am on our eight matchups, guys. Here's where I am on our eight matchups. Um, what we have at this point, and I think they're fairly solidified. We'll put them up as poll questions as we move along, unless you guys have complete burning reactions. Right now, we have the one seed, Bryce Harper, up against the 16 seed, Mookie Betts. We got the two seed, Aaron Judge, against the 15 seed, Noah Syndergaard. We have the three seed, Jose Altuve, against the 14, Manny Machado. The four seed, Mike Trout, against 13, Miguel Cabrera. The five seed, Shoni Otani, against 11, Justin Verlander. Six is Mike Stanton, up against Joanna Cespedes. We got Kershaw versus Posey in a 7-10 matchup. And then in the 8-9 matchup, it's kind of the old and the new, Albert Pujols against your baby blue-eyed guy, Jake, Chris Bryant. Um, any anticipated upsets in the first round, guys? Do you think anybody can upset the apple cart? Who's your favorite going into this tournament? I think it's going to wind up being the two-seed Aaron Judge, but I guess that's a homer pick, right, Scott? Who do you think surprises in this tournament that we are going to start doing as we come along after the holiday break? Who I think is going to surprise? Well, I don't even think Cespedes belongs. Jake uh, did. We put him on yeah. in. You know, I mean, uh, come uh, on. He's so, well, Cespedes Family Barbecue as we go to Memorial Day weekend. The so, Cespedes well, Family so, Barbecue. So, so two things to tweak real quick. is I would, When I said Cespedes, I said I would put him at bottom. Like I would put, I would yeah, I know. Maybe we could switch him with like a Machado or something uh, like that. You know, The other thing is, especially because the Cubs won the World Series, I would actually bump him over Kershaw into the seventh seed. Bryant? Deserves to be, yeah, I think this Bryant yeah. definitely deserves to be I think Boogie Betts is too low, too. Okay, maybe we'll make him be an upset. He could be. I'll upset. flip bets and Cespedes. I'll flip bets there and you Cespedes. Go. And then flip, I'll flip bets and Cespedes. Is Anthony okay. Rizzo in there at all? No, he is not. I would bump. I would bump Cespedes out for him. Well, well, Scott, you could have said this earlier in the week, my friend. No, Scott, I wouldn't. You gotta remember what the <laughs> casual. You gotta remember the casual fan. It's the casual, casual fan. Still, casual fans don't know who Cespedes is outside yes, they of New do. York. Yeah, they do. Yeah. I have a guy who uh, that the guy who I asked this specifically because he knows baseball but doesn't watch it at all. He's like he knew Cespedes. He knew him from the Mets. He That's actually one guy you spoke to, though. No, I'm just saying he knew him, and he didn't even know Syndergaard's first name. I'm just saying right. people know. I think who more Cespedes casual is. fans would know Anthony Rizzo over Cespedes. Well, here's the beautiful part of it, guys. When we put this up as polls, we're gonna let the fans decide, and we are going oh, to here find goes. out. I got no. I, I got your option. Oh, we're starting this next week, right? Yeah. Put an open question. I agree with what it's, he's saying it right now. Chris is saying it right now, what I was going to say. Put Cespedes, Rizzo, whoever we bumped for Cespedes, and somebody else in oh, the okay. poll and let them Like a little play in game? Yeah, the last four get to be the 16 seed. Yeah, this is being ah, hosted I like in that. Dayton, Ohio. That's kind of like the old. 
That's kind of yeah. like the All-Star game where like, you, or, you yeah, voted exactly that like final that. guy. Yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. So we could do, we'll that. do that. We over the weekend. Rizzo. We can get Rizzo. We can get Cespedes. Um, Votto. Some of the lower Joey end Votto. Guys. Sure, maybe a Freddie Freeman, guys that just missed the cut, yeah. and we could have kind of the play-in game for the right to lose in the first round to Kansas. <laughs> Rice and, right, to lose to Kansas and Duke in the first round. In this scenario, Kansas is being played by Bryce Harper, and Duke is being played by Mike Trout. Fair enough. So we will, uh, we will do that right now. We appreciate everybody who do, in fact, answer the polls that we put up on Twitter. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.